0: Hey, everyone, real quick, rate, review, and subscribe to the Berman Hour Podcast. Wherever you're listening, every little bit helps. Do it right now. Thanks. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Berman Hour Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Berman. Thank you so much for tuning in. We have a very interesting episode this week. My old friend, Martha Roberts, is on the podcast And she's a professor, she is a triple certified adult and pediatric critical care practitioner, an emergency nurse practitioner, and for our purposes of this conversation, she has been administering COVID-19 vaccines in the Davis, California area for the past few months. And I wanted to pick her brain about her experiences, her thoughts on this pandemic, her thoughts on the vaccines. And a whole lot more. So without much further ado, we're going to jump right into it, my conversation with Martha Roberts. Enjoy. This week's episode of the Berman Hour podcast is brought to you by Hello Productions. You may know them as Hello TV. Hello Productions is the ultimate all-inclusive live concert video production service. With the live concert industry shut down, the only way for artists to reach their fans is through creative live streaming concerts and events. And Hello Productions can help you do that. Go to dot tvcom and talk to them. Let them know what you're thinking about doing. If you're a solo artist, they have a stage for that too. If you're a band and you want to do something that's like you're in an arena, they can do that too. Not only do they have the know-how and the stage set up, but in normal times, in pre-COVID times and post-COVID times, that's what they did. That's what the team did. They worked on arena and stadium tours, doing lighting, doing sound, doing rigging, doing tour management, doing publicity. Some of them were even artists. So go to dot tvcom and talk to them. They can help you get a live stream event up and off the ground. HelloTV.com.
1: Well, hey.
0: <sighs> Your microphone setup looks like it's better than mine.
1: It's not better. You have a better pop stand than I do. Mine's just a tiny little thing.
0: Yeah, but it, yeah, you know, yours, I don't know. It, it looks good. It's good to see you. Good to see you. It's good to talk with you.
1: Always good to talk to you.
0: And I'm very interested on a personal and professional and uh, cultural level of what you've been dealing with this past year. So let's go back a year because I've been having conversations this week with a lot of people and a lot of people in my family about what they were thinking this week last year when the consensus was this is hell, but it's going to be hell for just a short amount of time. Not knowing what would follow for the rest of spring, the summer, and then the actual hell that was this past winter. So where – where were you kind of emotionally and, and logistically as this was unraveling a year ago,
1: a year ago, I literally moved across the country from the East coast where I had been my entire life, essentially raised outside Philadelphia, uh, 15, 17 some years in the DC area. And then I, was living up in Vermont for the particular time that I was moving to uh, California. I was offered a position at UC Davis, which was going to be a really great position. And I essentially I moved during the part of the pandemic where we didn't know exactly what was going to happen. And you know we talk about this un um, excuse me we talk about this sort of unprecedented and you're unable to predict unpredictable situation of what's going to happen. You just know that things aren't good. And oh gosh, I'm the one that has to be on the front line of this. Now there's a lot of people on the front line. I'm not saying that healthcare providers are the only ones, but I was in the room with those patients, you know, when they're first diagnosed and I'm not sure we took the right precautions. I consider myself very lucky for not getting sick. So I moved across the country I was working in a brand new hospital. I didn't really know anyone here. And there was this crazy virus that nobody really knew anything about. So every day was, gosh, I'm not sure there's a word for it, treacherous.
0: Nice. (laughs) That's, That's how it felt. Did you think that this was going to be rather brief? Or did you have a sinking feeling that this was going to be a long-term issue?
1: I knew it was going to be a long-term issue from the very start, not just based on the evidence and literature that I was reading about the coronavirus and looking at cases of how it affected patients in this way that I've never seen a virus like uh, a cold or flu-like virus attack an individual. Now, people die from the flu. Sure. um, and, And I've seen that. But- I, I never really saw young, healthy people die from the flu. That, that's what makes this virus so different from the rest. And it was very scary. Now, I knew that with our uh, hospital preparations and the meetings that we were having, almost every day we had an update, what the new guidelines were, what medications to give, how we were treating patients, um, I, and the lack of PPE, the protective equipment we were using. You know, the stories that you heard about people reusing their masks and such, That's that was me.
0: And the trash but, bags.
1: See, oh, yeah. Uh, well, my hospital never had to use the trash bags. Um, we eventually used something what's called a papper, which is this portable protective machine that, that kind of is like a hood. It goes on you and filters the air. And, I mean, UC Davis did a wonderful job. I, I think that they they had a, a very good leadership through it all. But they still could not control the emotional and physical happenings of the staff. I mean, the ER is a hard enough place to work in general. And you have to have a certain personality to do it. And then when you add this level of complexity and scariness, it's almost like, wow, I thought I had it kind of bad before. It's fun, too. I mean, don't get me wrong. Not all the patients die. And we do help people, but this was a whole new level of like burnout, depression, anxiety, even resorting to uh, stuff that wasn't so good for us, you know, maybe like a little increased drinking, you know, picking up bad habits again, you know, irritability, that kind of stuff.
0: That was something that kind of caught a lot of attention on social media, but it didn't seem to catch a whole lot of momentum in the mainstream media, which was, the reaction that the healthcare workers like yourself were dealing with, what they were going through. So we were kind of inundated with a lot of really scary information about the realities of the virus through the CDC. It obviously got filtered through uh, an unhelpful (laughs) uh, uh, political lens for quite a long time, right? But the effect that it was having on people like yourself it didn't seem to be documented in kind of a cultural sense. The people who were a little bit more savvy and younger on social media like ourselves, we, we would see people posting about it or we would hear about people that we knew that, were, that worked in medicine that worked in hospitals. We would see what they were saying and, and what they were sharing on social media. Did you find it frustrating that you were going through this really intense period in, you know, in, in world history and there wasn't some, did, did you feel like culturally people had your back or, or was it kind of divisive from the start, I guess?
1: I think some days in the beginning, it sort of felt like a free for all and like nobody knew what the heck was going on. The culture and mentality of my coworkers were very supportive. And like I said, I had a great administration at my hospital. Now, a lot of hospitals may not have had that. Sure especially the hospitals in New York. Now, not to say that they didn't have good leadership, but there just weren't enough bodies and people were tired and they were sick. People were getting sick as well. So I think, you know, I don't want to sound like I had it great either. (laughs) You know, like, yes, we were prepared. Yes, I had good leadership, but there were days where as you know, I work day-night rotation. So maybe at the beginning of the week, I'd work Monday, Tuesday, like 6 a.m. to 4 p.m. Then maybe I'd have a day off. And then three days in a row after that, I'd be on the overnight shift, like 9 p.m. to 7 a.m. And I would flip back and forth doing that. So when I had to stay home for child care to teach, to be a to act like a first grade teacher, I will never call myself a first grade teacher because it is very difficult to do. But when I had to act like a first grade teacher, there were some days where I was staying up, you know, I'd work my shift, my overnight shift, 9 p.m. to 7 a.m., come home, wouldn't go to sleep, teach Ellie all day. And then maybe I'd take a nap, but it was, it was, that was the hardest part for me. And I was really depressed through that. It was really hard. But, and, and on top of that, I, like I said, I had just moved here. I didn't know anybody in the beginning,
0: it's hard. It's I, I mean, I think living in California is easy and was easy compared to other places I've lived. But the transition there was a lot more difficult than I had anticipated. Did you find it the same?
1: Transition meaning like establishing a residency or- Yeah,
0: your landing, so to speak.
1: It's more expensive. Uh, the landing was more difficult. And I've moved quite a bit in the past 15 years. So- yeah, I thought it was hard. However, I made friends quickly in the neighborhood, which was really great, and I have some really wonderful neighbors. And then of course, my friends from work, you know, they're young professionals such as myself, and we got through it. You know, we'd meet outside, literally in the in in the backyard or something, and we would be take great precaution. And then of course, when we all got our vaccines, you know, we felt a lot better. Got a lot right. better because vaccines save lives. <laughs>
0: I know that this is going to be putting you on the spot and I don't expect you to answer this on behalf of the entire medical community, but the elephant in the room for this conversation, I feel, is the former president and the politicizing of the masks and the virus and the entire situation. What was going through your mind and and how did you feel in your heart? And if you feel comfortable enough to speak on behalf of some of the people that you were closest to that you did actually work with. What were you going through when we kind of were well into this virus and we're in April, May, we see the numbers start to climb and we see a basic disregard for the idea of flattening the curve. We see a disregard for the courtesy of mask wearing and we see a presidential, we see the executive branch essentially tell the rest of the country that we're on our own and, and we don't really need to worry about this?
1: Well, certainly I felt that it was frustrating and I didn't understand why people were politicizing sickness. You know, I guess I, in a way, could understand the cult mentality or uh, misinformation kind of let's grab on to that kind of thing. But I'm a person of science and I've spent my entire career and most of my life reading science and practicing evidence-based care for patients. Um, But that also kind of leads me to say, I have seen all kinds of patients. I have seen all types of political beliefs and I have seen um, people make comments about healthcare and medicine and treatment and nursing that aren't correct. They're wrong. Um, And my job is not to make them feel bad or not give them the appropriate care, or have a bias or a judgment. I genuinely want to help people. And, and some days, you know, I do as much as I can, and then people can do what they want with the information. But as far as, you know, what, what Trump did, now, there's plenty of Republican and Trump supporting physicians, nurses, and other healthcare providers, sure. But to say that the vaccine or the virus is political is inappropriate. Um, I do like to hear some arguments occasionally. But um, in the case that someone says that either COVID or the vaccine is politically driven in regards to prevention and treatment, they're just wrong. (laughs) You're wrong, 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 wrong. It's not political. Um, COVID doesn't make you a Democrat or a Republican or anything. Literally, you need to abandon your political party and remove this from your decision to get something like a vaccine. You need to remove political party from the reason to wear a mask, to wash your hands, not to travel unless an emergency, et cetera. I mean, if that's lightning now, you can travel um, sort of a little more liberally if you have your vaccine. Sure, yeah. And again, COVID doesn't care who you are, you know? It, it, it attacks anyone, whether you're black, white, purple, Catholic, Christian, your favorite color is red, you're a boy, girl, transgender, anything else doesn't matter
0: that was the issue that i had even with people in my own family where i kind of had to sit down with them and say we're dealing with something that is indifferent to whatever our best intentions might be so whether you're getting a haircut or you're getting this or you're seeing this person and you trust this person it does not matter Mm -hmm. it it simply does not matter the virus does not care whether you have to do this to feed your family or feed yourself or to feel better about yourself. If you're putting yourself at risk, you're putting yourself at risk. And, you know, I I moved as well during the pandemic and not to make this about me, but in in kind of a similar way, uh, we moved a few months into the pandemic and we traveled through parts of the country where I could tell like the hysteria hadn't happened yet. It was as if it didn't exist there. It didn't exist in Tennessee. It didn't exist in Oklahoma yet. We know now that it actually was there. But you know what I mean? The mentality had not shifted. There wasn't right. the, the, the sense of urgency that there was in, in New York and Seattle and Los Angeles and San Francisco. And now, all this time later, we see that those places have had rashes of time where they're just getting bombarded with cases and deaths mm-hmm. and, and everything. How did you kind of get through that process when you're kind of seeing people who are coming in because either they're making genuine mistakes or, or people who are coming in because they got COVID because they believed in misinformation. Or someone else
1: made a mistake around them. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Like how, how do you, is it difficult for you to kind of check yourself?
1: My immediate answer is not necessarily. I'm, I'm not perfect, by any means, I think that I have a lot of insight having done the the career for a while. And I, I have, um, you know, seen therapists myself to help through my own personal issues in my life, which I think is fantastic. I wish everyone had that ability, but I, I really have, I feel like the bones in my body that when I see someone that needs something, I really want to help them. And I think people would say that about me, not just at work, but in my personal life, it's not difficult for me.
0: I can vouch for that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's really not hard for me. It makes me happy.
0: Um, I really need 20 bucks right now. Could you <laughs>
1: I would send it to you and you know I would. I know you would. So, you know, yes, patients come in and they have... Uh, things to say and I don't always agree with them but it's it's actually easier to separate the science from the emotional part for me if I really were to focus on the emotional stuff like you said how'd you get through all that I think I'd be pretty angry but you know anger as we say is in the medical world is really just sadness you know real anger is just sadness translated into explosion that I probably spent more time being sad actually sad like crying and and feeling somewhat sorry for the people I was treating that were so sick and dying and sort of sorry for myself. And then it was easy to snap out of it because I'd be like, okay, I'm so lucky. Like I have a home to go to. I don't have COVID and I'm homeless. You know, I don't have to worry about my health insurance because I have it and I have knowledge. And I think that's the other thing. We, we expect all these people that come to see us in healthcare to have knowledge and they don't, that's why they're coming to us. And
0: sure. This is a good time, I think, to just interject a lot of embarrassing stories about you. (laughs) No, 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 no. (laughs) No, no. But something I do want to say about our college days, because I think it's pertinent to this situation and a good example of how you kind of weathered the storm of what you dealt with. You and I went to American University in Washington, D.C. It's in Washington. It's obviously going to be a, University that is a political hotbed, a very diverse place to go to school. And we went to school and were friends with a lot of Republicans, a lot of libertarians, a lot of Democrats, a lot of bleeding heart, diehard liberals, a lot of <laughs> activists. But I don't think that as we were making our way through what felt like the murky Bush years while we were in college and the post 9 11 the preemptive mm-hmm. war in Iraq and all of that, it was touch and go there for a while. And there were tense moments on campus, but I feel like the lessons I learned sharing classrooms and lecture halls with people like that made me a, a little bit more of a diplomatic person when it comes to dealing with those sort of uh, conflicts and conflict resolutions. This, however, I, seemed like such a, uh, a drastic severance from what we had experienced because the level of misinformation had gone awry far beyond anything that what we were dealing with when we were worried about WMDs in 2003 or whatever it was. When you were on the front lines actually combating this virus and you're seeing what's happening around the country, were you kind of more comfort comforted knowing that you were in a quote unquote liberal area or, or more progressive area being in California than if you had been somewhere else? I, I know it's, it's kind of a hard thing to answer, but I'm kind of hmm. curious as, as your your uh, not of your political leanings, but w- what your understanding of the politics involved as you were actually taking care of people.
1: You know, I've worked in a lot of hospitals in my career and I have not really felt the outer community's pressure of political desires inf- impacted on me in the ER itself. Unless it affects like political policy for healthcare reform, or right. um, you know, even the distribution of vaccines or other medications, you know, I see that part of it. But the ER is a very special place because when you're there, nobody gives a shit about anything going on on the outside. You have an acute critical problem that you're looking at in a human being, period. And although, like I said earlier, patients may have an opinion about something like, you know, even something as so much as like getting a treatment, like um, a breathing treatment, for example, they might say, well... Um, You know, my religion doesn't allow me to do this or, you know, I culturally don't want to do something like this. And we'd have that conversation, but they would never say things like I'm a Republican or I'm a Democrat. So therefore I'm not going to do what you suggest. So maybe I'm not answering your question exactly. I didn't feel the pressure of politics on me when I was doing my job every day. It was very, very straightforward work. It's like, you're sick or you're not sick, you know? and um you i need help
0: or you do not need help at this exactly point. Yeah.
1: yeah so i think it was it's more like when you go out into the city like if you go in the sacramento area i mean you see there are still people on the bridge down the street from me that are hanging and waving trump flags that say trump 2020 on them like i i don't <laughs> understand that <laughs> or was it 2021 well, um oh my gosh the years are just Maybe it's 2030. Whatever it says, it says Trump.
0: How right. anybody believes that the – pardon my language, the asshole with the golden <laughs> toilet from Fifth Avenue is really their champion, I just – I can't.
1: So 2020, I consider- 2024,
0: 2016, I can't – I still can't wrap my head around it.
1: I know. But listen, that's you know, their I, yeah. I think I, I'm – I consider myself rather moderate. You know, I'm, I'm neither one way or the other very – there's only a couple of things that I feel really passionately about when it comes to politics and, you know, people's right to choose, um, uh, with abortion, you know, it's not, it's, it's not my body. So, you know, I think people need to do what they need to do for their health and safety and welfare. So I'm pretty, you know, I have an opinion about that. I also have an opinion about gay marriage and, um, the rights for anyone who's different in any way, shape, or form or that we consider different in society or, you know, um, have bias against, I think absolutely everyone deserves the right to healthcare and it would be great if we had some better healthcare reform. So those things that are important to me, treating everyone with respect. And, uh, it's always been really, really important to me. And we had all kinds of friends at AU, you mentioned the diversity. I never saw people like that. People, I just saw people as friends and had cool interests and I could talk to now, it doesn't matter what you look like. If you were boring, you were fucking boring. But if you were, you're cool, you're cool. I want to talk to you. So, you know?
0: <laughs> I just have this memory of like, I, I was a part of a wrestling club. Go figure, right? Or we would watch the pay-per-views together. Yes. This is so stupid. And they, they made me, I had to go and then watch it live while they taped it. Because this is before you know all the technology changed everything and i had to bring the tape back to campus and the house the off-campus house that had them of course was the college republican house so i'm just sitting there like pulling my hair out like just being like i just want to get through this wrestling pay-per-view and enjoy it (laughs) and these guys are like well cheney actually is quite interesting like oh my gosh this is when you had your mohawk too and they were probably like well this guy yeah, no, it was the kind of thing. That's what I'm saying, though. Like, we, we could get along because we could watch wrestling and we could sure. agree, uh, disagree politically and still be be cordial. But, you know, those days seem to have uh, kind of passed. I'm going to jump in real quick and say a big thanks to another sponsor of the Berman Hour podcast, Flow State Coffee from New Wave. Go to newwave.co slash berman to get 10% off your order of the best damn coffee on the marketplace. N-O-O-W-A-V-E dot C-O slash B-E-R-M-A-N. New Wave's Flow State Coffee is the best coffee on the marketplace because it is coffee that's blended with raw cacao, which makes it delicious, and a little bit of L-theanine, which is an amino acid that naturally reduces stress and anxiety. And when you drink this Flow State Coffee, it sets your brain into an optimum performance mode. It is catching on like wildfire. And they were one of the first sponsors of this podcast, and we were one of the first people to take them on. Now other people are begging them to come on their shows. Go to newwave.co slash Berman, N-O-O-W-A-V-E dot C-O slash B-E-R-M-A-N. Let's get at it. Let's focus now on the vaccine, or should I oh, say yeah. vaccines? Yes. So Yes at what point did you begin to be a quote unquote hero worker and to administer these vaccines in your area?
1: So as I mentioned, back in September of last year, I was really burnt out. Um, I was having a, I was really struggling and I was having a difficult time homeschooling and and working full time. Um, so what I did was, I also, I worked for a teaching company as well. So I was doing intermittent teaching podcasts and yeah. an education program. So I was really busy. And I just stepped away from the clinical bedside work of working every single day as a nurse practitioner. And I focused on educating Ellie and then educating people around me. Now, as far as like other healthcare professionals, I took a job, some contract work. There was a, a COVID hero relief project that was being passed through every single state and they were looking for people to work paid. There were some volunteer positions, but there were paid positions. So I took a paid position with CVS and I would go to different sites and administer the vaccine. Some of them were at nursing homes. Some of them were in hospitals and some of them were at direct CVS locations.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And so I've been doing that, uh, for the last several months and, also uh, sort of, you know, continuing this education project, not just with my companies, but with uh, friends and family answering questions. And, you know, in my profession, we have a saying about vaccines. Do you want to know what that is? Yes. Vaccines cause adults. That's what they cause. I like that. Right. So now we all know that the coronavirus um, vaccines in kids have not been proven uh, safe yet, okay. We, we're not giving them the kids under 16. However, young adults—they're still young people. We want them to live a long time and be old adults. And this goes for all types of vaccines. And eventually, we will get ones that kids can have too for the coronavirus. But um, yeah, vaccines cause adults. It doesn't cause autism. It doesn't cause uh, cancer. It doesn't cause uh, other terrible things. Now, you might hear in the news, depending on when you air this particular segment with us. That there's some, the AstraZeneca vaccine has been linked to possibly blood clots or even death. Now that one's a a little scary.
0: Controversy around that in Europe right now.
1: Right. But if you look at the studies, particularly around Moderna, Pfizer, and Johnson & Johnson, uh, they're all very safe. And I wanted to mention a little bit about that. Um, Yeah.
0: So which which is the vaccine that you've been primarily distributing or administering?
1: Me personally, it's been more Moderna than anything else. Although I have given Pfizer. Okay.
0: But, have you have you had any of the J and J ones yet, which are the single shot? Not yet. Okay. Not yet,
1: okay. but that should be coming within the next month. Right. And and what I want people really to understand, if they don't take away anything from what we talk about today, uh, besides this, is that evidence based literature and practice is super important. Not just to me, but the other scientists and healthcare providers. We don't just do things because we're told to do them. We read. I read hundreds of articles and literature pieces every week, every month. I'm constantly reading, understanding, Mm -hmm. and trying to do what's right. It's science. Science is, again, not political. Knowledge is power, not the politics. And I think if, you know, we want to maybe go through some of these questions that patients or your friends or family might have, you want to do that and see if maybe we can answer some questions that are based on science?
0: Well, sure. Why not? Why not? (laughs)
1: Did you want to, maybe we could talk a little bad religion too, if you want. Or- all right. Yeah. All right. Real quick.
0: <laughs> yeah. What's your favorite bad religion record? Put you on the spot.
1: Oh, uh, do I get like an era? Sure. Like, oh man. Um, I don't know. I really like the
0: Empire Strikes First. That's a good answer.
1: You know, but this is the thing. A new America got me through a really rough time in my life.
0: I remember the, that you always liked that record.
1: New America yeah. got me th- through pretty much every difficult time in my life. I was living in London at the time. And then, you know, we lost our beloved friend Andy, and I just always remembered those songs. And it was kind of a campy record, you know, but it was like I had in my CD player walking in London all the time. And what album was um, Kyoto Now on? Uh,
0: Process of Belief.
1: Yeah. Oh, man. When that album came out, we were... We were Brandywine and Macomb Street. That was what 2003, maybe.
0: No, that record came out in January of 2002.
1: Oh, I was a year off. Oh, bite me.
0: <laughs> but that was that was the yeah, but that was the era. You know that that's a great era for the band. It was a great era for us as very yeah. responsible college students. Yeah, wink, wink nudge, nudge.
1: Yeah, <laughs> right. But yeah, I, I'd say New America. That That's my final answer.
0: Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. <laughs> so if somebody gets the vaccine, and again, we're referring to the ones that you are familiar with, which is Pfizer and Moderna. We're not going to talk about the other ones just because you haven't had the experience with them. But right. there is information on there about them on the CDC website. There's more information coming out as they become more readily available. So. If somebody gets the first shot, they need to get the second shot, correct?
1: Yes. In a two-vaccination process like Moderna or Pfizer, you need to get it. Now, just to clarify, Moderna is one shot, and then four weeks later, you get the second shot. And then with Pfizer, you get the shot, and then three weeks later, you get the
0: additional shot. Sure. Is there an immediate lessening of risk? as soon as you get that second shot or does it take a little bit of time for everything to kind of kick in and get get rolling
1: so within the first two to three weeks after getting the first shot you have about 70 to 85 percent effectiveness or protection okay and then when you get the second shot roughly two to three weeks after you have 95 percent or greater protection against the virus and you know the cdc just released a, a statement that said if you have the vaccine and I have the vaccine, we can hang out together, you know, not, not be worried.
0: You mean hang out together sans masks? Correct. Okay. So that's, that's a good time to bring up the mask thing because that has been politicized to the moon and back. So people should continue to wear masks in public. Correct. Right
1: now. Yes. For right now. Yes. And you know, I always tell people just do your own test if you want. What's What you can do is put a, put a mirror up in front of your face and I want you to just cough in front of the mirror, like <coughs> on the mirror. Yeah, you know, stick your tongue out and cough on the mirror. Then I want you to put a mask on and then cough on the mirror and then see the difference on the mirror. Like, is there a bunch of spittle there anymore or a loogie or fog? I mean, it... it, it <laughs> I, I'm tongue tied because I don't understand what people don't see about that. Like, why is that? Why is that confusing?
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, and this is my first winter back on the East Coast in 13 years. And, you know, I've toured through cold areas and obviously I've been back for holidays and stuff. But living through an entire winter, I've grown accustomed to wearing the mask for the purpose of staying warm.
1: Yeah, that has definitely helped.
0: Yeah. And, you- and it's it's been very helpful in that regard, on top of being helpful for this pandemic as well, obviously.
1: You know, what's interesting is that, you know, someone might say, okay, fine. I agree with you that a mask may help me not spread spit and saliva and cough and things like that. Fine. But like, I'm not going to get enough oxygen if I wear a mask. Like there's no oxygen getting to me. I'm breathing my own carbon dioxide. You know, you might breathe your own bad breath, but- I, I've been wearing the regular masks, uh, the, just the surgical masks in my job for 15 plus years. You know, I, I was in surgical cases. I do procedures. You know, there were other illnesses I had to protect myself from before coronavirus. And I didn't pass out. I didn't get headaches. I didn't have problems wearing a mask. And I wore my mask for 12 hours straight in the ER o- over the whole pandemic for days at a time.
0: Somewhere where I noticed that it was strikingly peculiar to me was when I had to go to Lowe's to get something and I walk in and nobody's wearing masks. Yeah. And I'm thinking like when you motherfuckers are doing whatever you're do whatever the work that you're doing that I don't know how to do when you go into <laughs> people's houses and you're doing this work yeah. you're wearing masks while you do this work to protect yourself. Why would you not protect yourself from this virus? You know, because if, you, if you're if you wearing it while you paint, it's not as if if you don't wear it, then you go breathe on somebody that, you know, they're going to get paint fumes. It doesn't work like that. But with this, it does work like that. So I, I never understood that disregard and, and the general lack of courtesy.
1: People don't like being told what to do, Jeff. You know, it doesn't matter what it is. This is just a lot of this is people not being uh, liking what people are telling them what to do. They want to do what they want to do when they want to do it.
0: I bet you, if we search their, um, we go through their search histories. They actually do like being told what to do.
1: <laughs> That's my
0: theory. That's only if
1: there, there's some special whip involved. But
0: yeah, look, <laughs> well, well, maybe what, should. What do you say to somebody who who doesn't? You know, they say, "I don't want to get the vaccine because X, Y, or Z.
1: I take out my writing crop and I say, "You're gonna do it." <laughs> No, okay, so I can't make anybody do anything just like nobody can make me do anything. I mean, hell, it's America, right? So, uh, that's the other thing you know we have to think about. not not everyone is like you or me, and I'm not being pretentious, and I'm not saying either of us are s- super special, even though we are. But the point is is that we don't, you know, have those kind of feelings, those selfish feelings that some other people have. Now, they have those selfish reasons for a variety of reasons, you know, whether they didn't, you could go for everything from they didn't get enough love when they were growing up to they went through a terrible tragedy or some kind of post-traumatic. They have, um, you know, maybe their IQ isn't that high. I mean, there's all different reasons why people are selfish, right? So uh, what can you do? You can't change someone's entire personality. So you you give people information. They can do what they want with the information, and then that's all you can do. We, you know, we talked a little bit about being selfish, right? If you feel that you don't need to get the vaccine for X reason, whatever, you could try to do it for selfless reasons, like you don't want to spread it to others. Help us open our freaking schools, our churches, our you know businesses. It's, the vaccine isn't just about protecting you, you know?
0: Yeah, something that I'd like some clarification on, because- I'm actually going through this now. A number of people in my life have had the vaccine. My dad just got his second shot a few days ago. And I've been somewhat worried because I've heard horror stories from other friends of mine who have had both the Pfizer and the Moderna, or respectively. They obviously didn't get both of them, but you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. And uh, they've been kind of, You know, knocked on their butt for a few days. Sometimes it was a few days later. Sometimes it was about eight hours later. Can you speak to any of the side effects beyond just you know the sore arm that you might get from a shot from either of these vaccines?
1: Sure. You said I I
0: actually don't recall what words you used. um, These severe side effects—horrific,
1: horror, terrible. What did you say?
0: No, 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 no. It wasn't like that. I've heard. Horror I did, stories. I did say horror stories, but I. I should what the hell is it. that?
1: What hor- what is a horror story to you? Let me, let me can compare horror stories.
0: No, yeah, it, we can't compare horror stories. Let me rephrase. I've heard from people firsthand accounts from people that I know that have gotten both or either the the Pfizer or the Moderna vaccine that after the second shot, sometimes it's six or eight hours, sometimes it's three or four days after they essentially get knocked on their butt. They're you Know they have flu like symptoms in some cases, okay. in some cases, okay. they're just sore
1: arm, flu like inc- symptoms, sure,
0: incredibly lethargic. Um, so to me, that's that's a, a a fair price to pay to be, you know, hold up for a few days to try to get better to be able to have this. But, but what, what's what is the medical community saying about potential side effects? Sure,
1: these? okay, now I, I heard that, but um, I heard that part of it, but it's not that bad. Okay. So yes, you might get a sore arm. Yes. You might feel a little tired. Maybe you'll be, I went to bed early. I went to bed at 7 PM after my second shot. I was pretty beat and I was actually supposed to go snowboarding the next day and I just couldn't do it. Poor me. Right. So, um, yeah, but that's about it. And about 33%, maybe 40 at the most will experience some kind of side effect, like a headache or fever, body aches. um, And they usually last less than 48 hours. Uh, You know, The medical community is saying those are normal feelings. Um, And we're also saying that even if you don't experience those, let's say you don't experience them with the first shot. Some people are saying, well, I got the placebo. I didn't get the real shot. That's not true. You got the shot. Some people don't have a reaction. And that's not to say that when you get the second shot, you won't have a reaction. I didn't really have much of reaction from the first one. And the second one, I was pretty beat. Like I said, I went to bed early. So, and it could be vice versa, but regardless, you know, these are minuscule things that don't send you to the hospital and you can take care of your symptoms at home and rest.
0: Okay. Here's something that I want clarification on, and I hope that you can answer this. Should anybody in the United States have to pay for the vaccine when they go and get it?
1: Well, that's a good question. Um, you don't have to pay for the vaccine. Now, your question is, should they have to pay? Right? I'm not saying,
0: you, I'm not asking should. I'm saying, are, is anybody going to be in a situation where they potentially are asked to pay for it? No. Okay.
1: The answer, the immediate answer is no. It's a government funded vaccination project. It's free to people. If, uh, the, uh, well, okay, I, your taxpayer dollars are what are paying for sure. the vaccine.
0: Yes. I mean, on site, they're not going to say, all right, it's. 20 bucks a pop or anything like that.
1: Nope, not going to do that. Mm -mm. Okay. Nope. And you don't need insurance. You don't need anything. You can show up and get your shot and it won't cost you a dime.
0: Have you noticed a difference between Pfizer and Moderna, the two vaccines that you have worked with, in terms of either people's reactions, uh, people's excitement about either one, (laughs) the medical community's preference for one over the other? Can you speak to any of that? I think. Is any of that even doesn't even exist? Sure. Sure.
1: It, you know, and it probably changes hourly about how people feel about it. Yeah. You know, when I work all day at the Moderna clinic, sometimes I get some people complaining like, oh, I have to wait an additional week to get my second shot. Like if I were getting Pfizer, I would have been vaccinated, you know, fully within a three week period. So we get those complaints. Um, one more effective than the other, not so much, It's very scant difference in the uh, effectiveness of both shots. Um, as far as people, um, Seeing me in general, I mean, I've had people hug me, cry, uh, you know, uh, bring me gifts. I mentioned to someone I didn't get to eat lunch and they went back and got me a Wendy's chicken sandwich, which was delicious.
0: Ooh, spicy or not spicy? Spicy, of nice, course. Nice, of course.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, you know, people are very appreciative um, and it's very rewarding work,
0: so- And you should be applauded for it. You should be applauded for it. How many shots, if you had to estimate, have you administered thus far? Thousands. Excellent.
1: Thousands of shots. Excellent. Because I've worked lots of shifts, and on average I give anywhere between 100 to 150 each shift, and I've worked over several dozen shifts. Okay. So you do the math.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I can't speak to anywhere else in the country because obviously I'm not traveling like I normally do. But here in Pennsylvania, in central Pennsylvania, we seem to be on the precipice of increasing these vaccine numbers uh, in a staggering, uh, a huge fashion because these mass vaccination sites are just about to open up. Mm-hmm. I can't speak to that, like I said, to the rest of the country But assuming that all goes well with these rolling out throughout the nation, how long do you think we're going to be in this process? You know, that's something that we hear President Biden talking about now. He kind of set this lofty goal of 100 million within the first 100 days. I think he's already eclipsed that. Something that I don't seem to be hearing from Dr. Fauci, I don't really seem to be able to find it when I look on on the CDC's website and I'm curious if you just have any inclination. I'm not holding your feet to the fire, but how long do you think that we're going to be in this vaccination process?
1: Definitely another six months, if not 12 months. Okay. I think this time next year, I mean, he predicted, you know, in the Rose Garden the other day, I listened to his, his conversation that he had about July 4th, you know, that we're all going to celebrate Independence Day together and really celebrate the end of the pandemic. I think we're going to have a, a few other blips here and there of increasing cases, maybe.
0: Yeah. But
1: overall, trending downward, yes, that's going to continue. Sort of looks like the stock market these days if you bought Peloton stock. I mean, geez, <laughs> it's a little volatile. Um, but I'm so glad I sold that when I did. Although, if I had sold Peloton when it was in its, like, 150s, I, I'd be uh, sending you DoorDash and a limousine right now. <laughs> so
0: a Wendy's chicken but, sandwich delivered in a <laughs> so- <laughs>
1: That's right. But yeah, I think we're definitely in it for another six to 12 months. I think the vaccination rollout is going to cause some blips. And I think that there's still going to be some confusion about whether I should get it or not get the vaccine.
0: Right. How long do you anticipate that you will continue to be administering these vaccines?
1: Well, that's another good question. I, (laughs) you know, even a pandemic doesn't change the way I approach a a career. You know, I only sold, excuse me, I only Um, signed a temporary contract. I don't like to sign my life away when it comes to ER, medicine, and nursing because there's so many opportunities and that's what I love about it. That's why I did it. My contract is up on March 31st and then I'm going to be spending some time with my family who are all vaccinated in Florida. And then I'm starting a new job at San Fran General, the general we call it, just uh, per diem, working some clinical shifts, I'm going to get back to the bedside. So sure, maybe I'll still work the clinic the second half of the year, but my main focus is to get back to the bedside. So at most, maybe three extra months.
0: Well, on behalf of everyone, we thank you for your hard work and your honesty and your willingness to share A little bit about your experience, because I feel like a lot of the disconnect, a lot of the misinformation pandemic that we're fighting against is because conversations like this are not happening enough. When conversations like this are happening between pundits on television or on talk radio, it gets lost in in the muck and the mire of whatever, the slant of the channel or whatever – Whatever is trying to be pushed. But, you know, when you sent me all this information earlier, the one thing that you kept coming back to, and it was almost as if you knew I was gonna ask you these political questions because you, you know me, <laughs> but you you kept pointing direction and the arrow back to the C D C website. Right. The C D C has taken a beating from a public relations standpoint alone. They've got some ground to gain. What do you think the CDC can do or continue to do to increase their good standing within the truthsayers of American culture as we continue through this vaccination process?
1: Well, like Anya would say, just because my kid likes to listen to that when she goes to sleep, is time will only tell, right? So time's only going to be able to tell how this is going to grow or falter. And I think that people need to consider that evidence in literature and studies and randomized control trials, those all need to be spun through a web of scientists. And um, we have some good ones on the team. And And time will tell whether or not those are reproducible studies, If if the vaccine works, if this whole plan works. And I don't think that the CDC has actually suffered too much. I think there's still a lot of people that respect them and understand that they are doing the right thing. They are. But you have to also understand that they're not going to have all the answers to everything. And sometimes it's their best guess, their best scientific guess. And that's like a hypothesis or, you know, some kind of like, okay, this plan we haven't tried it, but we have to do something, so let's try it. That doesn't mean we're guinea pigs. I know how people under, kind of they feel like maybe they're guinea pigs, but they're not. It's just that, uh, you know, you have to trust the science. And speaking of that, I did send you in that document about fifteen links, and I, are you able to post them along in your show notes? Yeah, yeah.
0: I don't know if I can do all of them, but I'll do a number of them for sure.
1: You know, there's a lot of stuff in there. I made sure to include the United Nations and us.gov and the Mayo Clinic. And there's also a great teaching company that I work with called MRAP for people that really want to get science nerdy. They can read about what happens to you when you're in the ER, how we treat patients, you know, stuff about the vaccine, what's the latest, greatest. And these are all my lovely EM friends that they're all so smart. They're smart people. That's awesome. I I would trust them. So, you know, the New England Journal, I have some links to that, FDA, yada, yada,
0: yada. My last question is do you think that what we've learned and what we've experienced during this coronavirus pandemic has better prepared us for something like this if it were to happen again in the near future?
1: Well, (laughs) I'm holding up a sign (laughs) that says – Why don't you read it since you wrote it?
0: (laughs) This rebellion will burn bright.
1: Now, I understand that that might mean something a little bit different to you. But, you know, every time I put this sticker on something, you know, it's been on my car, um, on my desk, I have, for some reason, I have a whole bunch of extra ones, which is great. But there are people from this pandemic, they're, they're rebellion of sorts. In various ways, shapes, or forms, like rebelling against you know, political unrest that like they're just saying, no, I'm not going to stand this. I'm going to try to do what's right. Or, you know, rebelling against maybe um, those people that were pressuring them to, uh, you know, not get the vaccine or not believe in coronavirus. But I do think we're going to come out of this sort of as rebels in a sense that, and, and renegades. We've just kind of learned all this stuff A lot of us have gotten closer to our friends and family. I know some of us have been torn apart as well, but I think it's going to be bright. I think the future is going to be bright. It's going to burn bright. You know, we're going to, we're still going to have some falls, but you know, I was looking at that sticker today and that's just thinking about that, you know, and that may not have been your intent when you wrote it, but that's, to me, I've applied it in that way.
0: Well, it can be applicable. I mean, honestly, I wrote it for Ellie. You know, I wrote it for Micah. I I wrote it for for everybody else that I know that's having kids and, and, you know, my son on the way. So it's really about shedding the toughness and shedding the rugged American exceptionalism. Yes,
1: yes, absolutely.
0: And and the dangerous definition around the term special. I feel like Mm -hmm. this pandemic has really highlighted how there are people you know in our families and in our friend groups and in our our country our, our fellow citizens who would risk their lives and the lives of others and are willing to die before they come to understand that they're not actually that special and we are all in this together and yeah we can collectively do a lot more than we can individually and sure. that's kind of the antithesis of of a lot of the the cultural fabric of America and with my writing, I know you didn't ask, this is a long-winded answer, but with with the songs that I write that are overtly political, then they're overtly political. The songs that I write that don't seem to be political are incredibly political. It's just subdued with how I see the trappings of Americanism has an effect on us and yeah. it really has an effect on our the young people and and now we're of the age where we have our own young people and we have our own kids yeah or we will soon and that concerns me because i don't i don't know i i think that uh, i'm encouraged by your your optimism that the future you think the future is bright and i'm inclined to follow you because i i trust you I've i have always, a good
1: feeling about it you know yeah, and
0: and i've always looked up to you <laughs> and, and i think that part of the way that that uh, that brightness is going to shine is by having a younger generation that is more tolerant and more collective in their thinking. And so here's to that.
1: Yeah. Cheers to that.
0: Cheers. Cheers to that. And there you have it. My conversation with my old friend, Martha Roberts. I thank her for her time and her expertise and for sharing her experience in doing the good work that needs to be done to help get us vaccinated and safe and on the other side of this pandemic thanks again to our sponsors hello tv they can save your ass and help you do a great live stream concert event and if you do it right you can make money There, artists are making so much damn money doing this so hello tv can help you with that go to h-e-l-l-o-o-o-t-v.com and also flow state coffee from new wave the best coffee on the marketplace sets your brain into an optimum performance mode, a flow state, if you will, go to n-o-o-w-a-v-e dot c-o slash b-e-r-m-a-n, newwave.co slash berman, and get 10% off. All right, thanks everyone for tuning in. I'll see you next week. Let's get it.